0: Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We read two verses. 2 Corinthians 5 verses two, verses 10 and 11. Last Sunday night, I had the privilege of preaching at the First Baptist Church in Zacatecas, Mexico. I brought a very similar message from this passage to them. And <clears throat> All through the week I felt impressed that I should bring that same or similar message to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, We persuade men. Let me read that again. For we must all, that's talking about Christians, God's people. There are actually five judgments. The unsaved will not be at this judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ. The unsaved will appear at the great white throne judgment spoken of in Revelation chapters 20 and 21. But we who are believers must all appear before the Bema throne, the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men." Someone might ask, why do you have a bus ministry? Why do you have Sunday school promotions and this train campaign And incidentally, the youth have been in first place for the last three Sundays. Why do you have these things? Why do you have goals for Sunday school classes? Why do you have anniversary services and get people signed up to come? Why do you go to Mexico? Take two or three weeks out of your schedule. Why do we give some of our funds for mission work around the world? The answer is very simple. Number one, to reach the lost at any cost. Number two, to encourage and strengthen the saints. That's the commission God gave us. And so I wanna lay on your heart this morning, three thoughts that help us understand why we persuade men. Why does our church try to reach out for the unreached? Why do we have soul winning teams that go out on Thursday night? Why do we have bus captains and bus pastors and bus helpers forsake their schedules on Saturday? Get up early? Stay up late? Go out on the highways and hedges and knock on doors and urge people to come to Christ? Why do they do that? Why do we encourage our people to come back on Sunday night? In some places, they've done away with a Sunday night service. I guess some of you would like that. But we have a Sunday night service, and I've never known anybody, anybody, to really grow in the Lord, to become a champion for Christ. who didn't come back on Sunday night and Wednesday night and grow in the Lord. Why do we do that? There are three Specific reasons, and I want to give them to you. Number one, because of the verities, the word verity means beliefs, because of the verities of the Word of God. The Word of God says in a passage read by Brother Eric this morning, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then that same passage and command is, is, is repeated in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then in John 20, 21, As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul, the great example of what every one of us ought to be, said, I am pure from the blood of all men because I've knocked on every door in Ephesus and have told them about Jesus and urged them to come. Now these verities remind us of some of the problems we face today. I think of that shooting in the school down in Paducah. And the other shooting out west. Where some guy out of his mind went to school and shot down 15 people. Two of them then killed themselves. Over in Paducah this one guy came out shot his classmates. When I was growing up I never heard of such thing as that. Nobody did that. They didn't have to have laws saying don't carry guns to school. Instead of that, we had posted on the walls the Ten Commandments. that said, thou shalt not kill. Our homeroom teacher would read the Bible every day. and We'd salute the flag. We were proud to be Americans. But we live in some very violent times today. And because of the veracity of the word of God, we need to keep on keeping on. Most of you know that the lady that ran that little shoe store down here on the corner of Cabell and the Bypass a few years ago, somebody came in at closing time and kidnapped her, took her off and raped her and murdered her right here in our place. Violent times. You think of the ethnic cleansing that's gone over in Eastern Europe and the tragedy of that man that poses as president over there killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people reminding us of Adolf Hitler in World War II where six million Jews were killed the veracity of the word of God reminds us we need to go we need to believe we need to do what God wants us to do people are lost souls are lost and we must go. The gospel came to us on its way to somebody else. I found myself, we got in about one thirty, and I went tried to go to bed about 3 this morning. And I thought, here I am lying in a nice bed, in a nice house, air conditioned and so on. And those dear people down in Mexico live in... call it facilities, hardly any electricity, and when they heard about Jesus, they didn't throw our tracks away, they didn't gobble them up and throw them down, they received them, and when they heard about Christ, we were in places where there'd been no work before, and when they heard about him, they gladly received him, I pray they will be able to go on with God and pray for developers and people who will go to help them grow in the Lord but we persuade men because of the verities of the Word of God go ye and make disciples secondly because of the vision the vision God has given us God has given this church an unusual vision for 44 years in August we'll observe the 44th anniversary of the Glendale Baptist Church for 14 months the church met in a house on Jones Avenue God gave vision there. One of the early men of our church mortgaged his house so that building could be purchased and used for a church. And then wise men among them found this area. It was just a sinkhole. Some of you wondered why we always have water in the basement when it rains. We built in a sinkhole. It was all we could afford. Bought one lot at a time. I think that lot was $90 and all we could do is buy one or two lots. We took option on others. I wish we could have taken option on, all the way out to Small House Road. But we did that because of a vision. There was no church in this area and people needed to hear about Jesus. And during these 44 years, over 4,000 people have walked these aisles professing faith in Christ and have gone into that baptistry confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has given a vision, and that vision is not diminished even today. Several years ago, our church decided to purchase some property to start another work that places on Cave Mill Road, and during the ensuing years, our people, who have no millionaires, no money, just average people, we're just a people's church, Raised $370,000 to pay that property off. And now we're in the process of trying to receive building fund funds to put some buildings there. Why there? So we can put a sign up to everybody that goes by that, that outer loop. And it will be enlarged to a four lane one day. Everybody that goes by there will see the sign Jesus saves, Christ receiveth sinful men. Nobody can find the place where we are now. You have to be planning to come here. But out there, we will be assigned by the side of the road. Come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. and ye shall find rest unto your souls. The vision God has given us. I've told you this story before and I feel impressed to tell it again. Years ago, I received a phone call to come and see a man in the hospital that I did not know. His name was Will Stubblefield. I went to see him. He had had a stroke. He was in his 80s. And all he did was look up at the ceiling. I never could tell whether he understood anything I was saying. I told him the best way I knew how how to be saved, how to go to heaven but he never responded at all, just looked up at the ceiling. They said he couldn't hear, they couldn't understand. But I thought, God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. I'm gonna give it to him anyway. And so I'd tell him about how to be saved and he just looked at the ceiling. One night I went home, I said, Lord, I'd like to see Will get saved before he dies. Would you show me how terrible hell is that I might be more motivated to go. I went to sleep. Two or three o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. There was a nurse at the hospital and she said, Mr. Stubblefield is dead. They've asked you to come to the funeral home. I went over over to the funeral home, got up in the night and did that. (laughs) Stood by the casket where he was lying. Looked down at his face. And then the undertaker left the room, went into another room. And all of a sudden, as I looked down at the face of Will Stubblefield, I saw him writhing in pain, pain written all over his face, and his legs and arms were moving around. And I cried to the undertaker, come back here, sir, something is wrong. The man came back in the room and stood by me. He said, what's wrong, preacher? I said, I thought death erased all that pain. Oh, he said prophetically, there's some pain that death does not erase. And I knew that man lost would go to hell. And then I woke up. It was a dream. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I got up, put my clothes on, went to the hospital. As I walked down the uh, hall, I said to the nurse, is Will Stubblefield still alive? Oh, she said, yes, he's still in there just looking at the ceiling. I went in and stood by him, put my hand in his hand, and I said, Will Stubblefield, God sent me here to tell you, you're gonna die, and you're gonna go to hell. You've rejected Christ all these years. I wanna tell you one last time that God loves you. He hates sin, but he loves you, and he wants you to be saved. I told him the best way I knew how to be saved. Then I, I said, we're gonna pray I want you to pray what I pray. I know you can't speak it out loud, but you just pray it in your heart. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I call on Jesus to forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, I trust you, amen. Then I said, Will Stubblefield, I don't know what you did in your heart, but before you leave us, I'd like to know. If you're willing right now to put your faith and trust in Christ, I want to ask you to ask God to give you the strength to clasp my hand. You know what happened? The man who looked up at the ceiling all that time, I saw his eyes move down to mine and tears began to come down his cheeks and he clasped my hand real hard and then he died. I want to tell you, hell is real. The vision that God gives us of the eternal retribution of those who turn Jesus down. God's only remedy for sin is Jesus. There is no other remedy. The church doesn't do it. Baptism doesn't do it. A good life doesn't do it. Turning over a new leaf doesn't do it. Giving our tithes doesn't do it. Only Christ, Jesus, saves. Jesus saves. And you heard the song a while ago, Ship Ahoy, Jesus Saves. Last of all, we persuade men because of the victory that is in Christ. Come with me, if you will, to Golgotha. Some of us have stood there. There's a bus station at the foot of Golgotha today, which is all right because it reminds us people to come and go. That's where Jesus was, where the people are. Up on top of that skull-shaped hill, I could imagine three crosses. The cross of rejection. The cross of reception. The cross of redemption. In that middle cross was the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sovereign of the universe, coming and being put to death by the wicked, sin-filled people of this earth. My sins and your sins were upon him. While he was dying, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you and I were part of that prayer. Father, forgive Richard Oldham. Father, forgive Joe. Forgive Mary. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God made a promise that whosoever would put his faith in Jesus would not perish, but have everlasting life. And Christ died on that cross. They took his body lovingly over to the tomb, buried it. But you can't kill God. Three days later, he came out of that grave. They rolled the stone away so we could get in to see he wasn't there. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. And there's victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. There's victory in Jesus. The only victory in the world is in Christ. And everyone in this room can have that victory. And listen, we persuade men as part of Glendale Baptist Church because of what the Word of God says, its veracity. Because of the vision God has given us. Mostly because of the victory that is in Christ. You want a victorious life, put your faith in Jesus you want a victorious life come to him and confess every sin in your life and turn from it as a believer in Christ if you want victory in your life turn to Jesus every hour of the day don't get defeated and discouraged and say well I one time tried Christ and then I messed up and I sinned and I can't come back yes you can come back that's a lie of the devil we serve a God of the second and third and fourth chance and he'll help you if you'll come But the world is looking for somebody that looks like God. They're not going to believe our hypocrisies. They're not going to believe our tawdry, cheap living. They're looking for somebody who'll live for Christ. Years ago, before there were modern medicines like we have today for diphtheria, the preacher tells the story of his son that got diphtheria. The doctor said, if you want to speak to your boy, you'll have to go put a gown on and a mask and go in and talk to him. So the preacher put the gown and the mask on went in and stood by his little boy. And the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, why are you dressed like that? The daddy said, Son, you're sick. And I don't want to take the germs out to other boys and girls so they get sick. In a little while the boy said, Daddy, am I very sick? The daddy said, yes, son, that's what the doctor says. In a few minutes, the little boy looked up and said, daddy, am I gonna die? And the daddy was trapped by his own teaching and told his son never to tell a lie. He said, son, that's what the doctor says, but you're not afraid to die, are you? And that precious little boy looked up at his daddy. He said, daddy, if God's like you, I'm not afraid. If God's like you, I'm not afraid. Our world is looking for somebody who can stand in the gap and make up the hedge and have a vision for a world in need of the gospel and can say, if God is like you, I want him. I need him. And it reminds me of something one of the Mexican people said when we were there. They knew very little about God or Jesus. They said, is God like you? Glendale Baptist Church, Christian friends here today, could we say, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. I want you to fill my heart with his love and care and concern for a world in need of the gospel. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank thee for the word of God that reminds us one day we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because of all Christ has done for us, we persuade men and women and boys and girls to turn to Jesus. May this be an hour of victory. Victory in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.